welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. For whatever reason, I think we tend to categorize people a little bit too simply. Let me give you an example. Sometimes you look at people and we just give them a thumbs up as good or a thumbs down as bad. And there's really no middle ground there. And I thought I'd make you part of this exercise, so I'm going to feed into kind of this mentality, if you would, with me. Um, I'm going to show you some pictures of people. And let's just, let's just do what's also common. Let's either give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Are you ready? Okay, so let's, let's go from here and just get involved. Uh, this guy. <laughs> Conflicted. This guy. Okay, all right. Uh, her. Okay, yeah. Him. Oh. How dare you leave the Today Show. Uh, this is Dennis Hastert. And then let's end on the really conflicting note. We should probably move on. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's not why the church is here, by the way. We're here. Do you know, and this is a tangent. Let's just do a tangent because I love tangents. Do you know the true hope of Christian America is not what the political parties do? It's what the church does. And I just want to make that really clear. The true hope of Christianity in America is not what the political parties do. It's what the church does. I just want to make that very clear for you. Anyway, so, but, but we tend to either, again, say good or bad, and, and, and that's just, you know, what, I don't know if it just makes life simpler, but that's usually how we categorize things. And I remember doing this as a child. Uh, as a child, you have to pick out your famous sports heroes and people that you want to follow and put posters in your room. And I remember picking one guy uh, named Magic Johnson. And Magic, I mean, who doesn't love the first name is Magic? I know it's not his first name really, but anyway, um, you know, his, his magical moves. And, and there are few people who are as charming and as charismatic as Magic Johnson. I mean, his smile is worth a million bucks in my mind. And, and anyway, and then so I'm like, okay, Magic Johnson, he's my dude, right? You know, and he plays for the Lakers, and I'm giving him this, and I'm collecting his cards and watching his games and seeing his passes, and oh, yeah, Magic. And then news comes out. You remember when this hit? And what did we learn about Magic Johnson, the guy who I had just done this? 
Everyone, it seems, found out at the same time that he contracted HIV-AIDS virus. And then as a young child, I figured out what it took to actually do that. And, and what I had, had previously done is this. I didn't, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't know. And what it identified to me is that people, and what we need to see the world as, that, that they are less this or this, and they are more like this. You guys ever pick up a bag of uh, Jelly Belly assorted flavors? Go with me here. And, uh, and, and I, I remember eating as a child, and, 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 and it's, it's wonderful to try to match up the different flavors. Oh, is this blueberry? Is this bubble gum? You know, sometimes you just take a handful, you know, and, you know, it's really good. What flavor is that? I don't know. Anyway, and, um, and, and every now and then, if you were eating them in the dark, though, or you weren't paying attention to what you were doing, you, you got something, at least for me, really uh, disrupted my senses. It's, it's yellow and it's white, and, and does anyone know what flavor this is? It's buttered popcorn. Now, there is nothing in my life that, that, that is completed by the buttered popcorn jelly bean. In fact, I would say my life would be much better without it. And sometimes you'd be reaching into trusted good old jelly bellies, and you'd get this obnoxious flavor, and like, what in the world is going on? I thought this was a bag of sugary goodness. This doesn't seem to say so. And then you try to, like, you know, pass these on to people you don't like very much. Hey, you want some candy? It's really good, brother, sister. See if you like it, too. Buttered popcorn. What I have to come to see is that most people, instead of being all this or all this, they're the assorted mix, aren't they? And that's the really, really good view of people. I know it's not making life simpler, but it is definitely more truthful. That when it comes to people, yes, some people have more flavors that you like. And yes, some people have more flavors that you don't like. But the reality is, we're a mixed bag. Now, the reason this is important is for how we perceive things in the world. And one of the ways it's important is if you ever thought someone was all bad and then they do something good, that might surprise you. But what is maybe worse is when you thought someone was all good and then you taste a little buttered popcorn in them and you were like, well, what's going on there? And when we do that, when we don't get the mixed bag, what we find is that we're disappointed with the people that we had just done this to, which, which is why we, we tend to prop people up, don't we? And I just want to caution you of that, especially as a pastor, because some of the people that you prop up are pastors. And, and, and first of all, let me be real. I couldn't be a pastor if I was a sexual abuser, if I committed adultery, if I stole from the church. I, I wouldn't be here. I couldn't be here, very honestly. But here's what I will tell you. If you walk around with Dustin Bloomer enough, and let me expand it to just other pastors that you know, if you walk around with them enough, you're going to sense some buttered popcorn. At one point or another, they will disappoint you. Because unlike being all good or all bad, they're just a mixed bag like everybody else. The reason this matters is because today we're given the command to sin not. And I would love to walk out of this building being all this. And wouldn't you too? Anyone else want to just be all this? I'm going to be good all the time, right? That would be awesome. But the reality is, as long as we're still on this earth, we're going to be the mixed bag. We're going to have good parts and bad parts and everyone in between. And 
And so, so here's the reality. I, I had a lot of Latin, which gave me my, my phrase, simul justicet peccator. Um, here it is, simul justicet peccator. And what does this mean? The reality is, if you're a spiritual person looking on, on others, is, is that we're at the same time saints and sinners. Let me unpack that. If you are in Christ today, what you need to know is that you are a saint. You are completely forgiven. If Jesus comes back today, you don't doubt where you're going. Because his perfection was for you. You're wearing his righteous robe. All your sins have been forgiven and through faith he considers you his perfect redeemed child. This is a wonderful reality, something that is already going on. You can be called saints of God. Which is always funny with naming churches. I grew up and, you know, you had St. Peter and whatever and, you know, maybe we should call it St. Dustin. I'm just, that'd be awful. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> but you are a saint but unfortunately, what I was trying to really just be real with is the fact that as long as you are on this earth and you are not in heaven, you are also going to be a peccator, Latin, a sinner. To the day you die, you will wrestle with the good that you wanted to do, but you didn't do, and the evil you didn't want to do, and you did, and all those things will still be going on, and I wish it wasn't the case, and I wish I could tell you sin not, but, but the reality is we're going to sin until we're in heaven with the Lord. I'm not excusing sin even. That's not what I'm saying. It just, it's going to be a struggle. So we need to know that going into this message called Sin Not to have reasonable expectations. See, we're on the, the, the fourth week of our End Commandments series, and uh, we know that the, the Spirit that raised God can work in us, and we can make progress even though imperfect. And, and victories can be had in the name of the Lord. I believe that to my core. But because we're never going to get perfect a better reality is just understanding where we're going. And, and, and here would be my goal today. I guess that, 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 that you would walk away today looking at sin and looking at the sin in your life more like the buttered popcorn jelly bean. That, that if anyone came in here thinking, oh, my sin's not so bad. Oh, it's all right. Oh, you know, no one really cares. That you'd start to gain a disgust with sin for reasons that we're going to explore. Sound fair? All right. And so one of the passages I love is from David who says, um, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. And that is what we're on the goal to do, to start being disgusted by the sin that's in our lives so that we can please our God. So let's get into our lesson. Our lesson today is from John chapter Eight. And, and here the disciple who walked with Jesus named John, the disciple whom he loved, records this account. And what's interesting is that the people who are all good, the, the religious people of the day, brought in a person who they thought was all bad to see what Jesus would do. Which one is it, Jesus? And I believe they were completely blown away by his response. It was something completely unexpected. Because instead of doing this or this, he didn't make it that simple. He exposed it for what it really was and showed grace. So let's get into it. John chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. 
But Jesus bent down, and literally he hung his head, I think because he was just disappointed and frustrated. But anyway, he bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. If you're all good. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. I guess there is wisdom with age. Until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And how glorious these words. Then neither do I condemn you. But then Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Go and sin not. Man, I'm hoping God does a work in our hearts today as we just get to consider him. Um, turn to your neighbor and just tell him it's going to be good. Turn to him and say it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. What we put into it is what we get out of it. Um, I wanted to ask, um, I've got some things with me. When is the last time you played with glitter? Has anyone played with glitter like this past week? Any glitter fiends? Nice! Anyone this last month? Last year? Last decade? Last decade for me. It was, it was, it was a decade for me because whenever I play with glitter, and it's so pretty, you know, um, I have this experience, you know, and, and let's, let's just play with glitter this morning. Um, I have gold glitter, you know, and, uh, and I have some red glitter here. And it's so pretty and it makes such great artwork, but I have the same experience every time. Let's just do something with glitter that uh, will use some of my gifts um, for a good use. I was a tuba player once in a while um, back in high school, and it means I have good lungs. And so what I wanted to just do with glitter is uh, just make a great display with you. And I'm going to blow my biggest tuba blow, and let's just see what happens with the beautiful glitter. Okay, are you ready? Here you go. Let's do it on the count of three. Who needs a glitter beard when you have glitter eyebrows? <laughs> and, and now, I didn't even intend to get it on myself, but that's what happened, uh, because I've just illustrated what glitter does. The reason I don't play with glitter, and you're going to be distracted the rest of the time. <laughs> I apologize, unintended consequence. The reason I don't play with glitter is because glitter makes a mess. That's why I don't play with glitter. And, and, and the thing with glitter is, even when you try to clean it, there are bits that you miss. And there are pieces that you cannot pick up. And there are things that get everywhere that you wish they didn't go, but they got there because that's just what glitter does. And so we're going to have glitter handshakes and glitter eyebrows, and we're just going to have all glitter everywhere. And the reason I did this silly illustration and getting glitter everywhere is because I wanted to give you a theological picture. What I was hoping for you to do is to link when I sin... It's like when Pastor Blue in the glitter. Every time I have a sinful thought, every time I have a sinful action, every time I speak sin, I leave a mess that I cannot completely clean up and it gets everywhere uh, without control. And that is the first thing and the reason we should sin not. Because of this principle, sin makes a mess. 
It's a mess. It's a mess. Now, this we know even from the very first sin. When Adam and Eve broke God's laws, when they sinned, not only did they break the relationship, it was a mess between God, they broke a perfect marriage, which would have been awesome, and now marriage is not perfect. And they broke a, a childbearing, so it's going to be painful. They broke work, so that every job you've ever had is hard. They broke creation, so that there are earthquakes and there are uh, hurricanes. And, and, and what they did was they blew the glitter all around. When we turn to our lesson, though we don't know the woman's story, what we do know is that she just blew in some glitter. We don't know if she was married, but if she was married, she just with her husband by doing this. We don't know the other party involved, but she just with that guy. Between her and God, she just, you know, before her and God. Now, what's interesting, though, is how the Pharisees were improperly judging. And if you want to catch up on how properly to judge, go last week. But they were improperly judging because they didn't want to love this woman. They were just trying to make a point through her life. And, um, and let me ask you, was this woman the only one making a mess if she committed adultery? Not at all. Who else was making a mess? Let's be honest. The guy. Yeah. Whoever she was with is equally as guilty of blowing in glitter. Okay? So let's be real. But they, they weren't interested in equality. They were interested in making a point. That's why this is all messed up. But anyway, um, and, and, and we know this about sin. And what, what's also interesting, I was reading this section, and some commentators are like, how did the religious leaders know what she was doing? Isn't that interesting to think about? Where were the religious leaders that they knew what this woman was doing? Is it possible that one of them was actually the other party? Is it possible that they were actually at the same place, maybe a house of ill repute, um, along with this same lady to catch him? So it wasn't just about one person's mess. It was about many people's mess. But, but, but what we know is that mess was going on. Okay? Glitter was being blown everywhere. The first thing I would have you consider again and not someone else's sin, but I'd have you open your eyes to the fact that whether you thought you got away with it or not, whether it's just a, a sin of thought, I would have you believe that every time we sin, whether you know it or not, it makes a mess. One of my favorite quotes um, I just found on the web, and, and it was from a, an, a speech given, and... and Cecil, he said this. He said, we, we, we cannot break the Ten Commandments. We, we can only break ourselves against them. Do you, do you understand the difference? We think we're getting away with something. What we're really doing every time we don't follow God's law is we're breaking ourselves. Because when a good God gave the laws, he, he was trying to safeguard his people. Think, on the, think of the pain on the other side of adultery. Think of the pain on the other side of stealing for you or the person. Think of the pain on the other side of gossip for whoever's involved. Think of the pain on the other side of anything the Lord has said. What I want you to know again is when you choose sin, you choose mess. But back to the lesson. Verse 5, let's look there. They wanted to know what Jesus was going to do with the mess. 
So they, they brought him, and, 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 and verse, let, let's just look at what they said. They said, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now what do you say? Now what do you say? Now what, what, is, what is interesting is that they were trying to trap Jesus. You know, do you agree with Moses or do you not? Because it's, it's something to quibble with Moses. You know, who are you? Are you trying to say you're better than Moses? They're trying to trap him. And uh, it's interesting what Jesus does next. Um, it says he bent down and he started to write with his ground on the finger. Um, and, and another commentator, uh, people don't know what he was writing on the ground. Like, w this, this, this what comes next is only a guess. But you know my favorite theory? My favorite theory is that he started writing all the other guy's sins. <laughs> so, so maybe it was like a gambling debt and he just wrote the number and like an arrow to the guy. Maybe it was the name of a, a girl and wasn't the wife and wrote another arrow. Maybe it was, again, all those secret things that the, the Holy One of God knew that he was connecting. And, and, and why did they start going away? I don't know about you, but I, I, I care less about the sins of others if my worst sins are on display. <laughs> How self-righteous do you feel if all of your worst sins were on display? Would you be concerned about anyone else's guilt? I like that theory for what Jesus was doing. So the good people brought a bad person to the perfect one to see what he would say. And what is interesting is that he didn't do this and he didn't do this. And what is interesting is that, I love this quote, there was one among them who had no sin, who was only good, and he was the only one who had no stone. Out of the whole crowd that day, the only one who could say, I've been perfect and I am still here to condemn her, did not say that. So we see the heart of God. But now let me ask you, and let's just be real, what is your sin? And don't tell your neighbor and you don't have to tell your spouse. Come on, we know ourselves. What is your sin? We know our patterns and our proclivities. I would have you see this. I would have you see that you're creating a mess in you and God. A mess between that person and the person involved. I'd have you recognize it's really a wedge in the relationship between others and a wedge between God. And if that mess isn't cleared up, it could separate us from God forever. But I'd also encourage you to bring it to Jesus today. Whatever's on your mind. Lay it down here today and don't pick it up again. Because when Jesus died on the cross, what's remarkable is that he was able to clean any and all glitter. He was able to clean any and all mess so that we today are spotless. What I would convince you of again today is that our God does not delight in throwing stones as much as he delights in extending grace and open arms. The only one who had a right to throw a stone at us, no, he says, I love you. And I have cleaned you, and you are my child. Just come to me with open arms and feel my hug and my embrace, not my rejection. I want to shape your paradigm with a passage. Consider the heart of God. This is the heart of God. He didn't send his son to condemn the world and to throw stones. He sent him to save the world so that you would know how much you are loved, so that you would never run anywhere else but to Jesus, who knows your worst and forgives it all. The only one who is able and willing to clear up all the glitter 
and call you his child. That's ours today. So I know we were looking at the heaviness of sin, but I, I encourage you to leave that here today. I do. I encourage you to accept the fact that you are completely clean and walk away with joy. But is there anything in you after hearing this that says, I don't want to do sin anymore? <laughs> I don't want to blow in glitter. Is there anything in you? That's what we want to talk about next. That if that spirit is inside of you as I know it's inside of me, then we want some power to make progress for the sake of our Lord. The one who loved us so much, he'd clean us completely. And that's where we want to go now. And uh, to talk about that, I, I want to talk about, um, has, has anyone ever seen you without all, any makeup on? I'm here, I'm talking to the girls. Guys, well, can wear the eyeshadow. But, uh, <laughs> wish I was a better talker. Anyway, um, I, I live with a woman who sometimes, you know, gets conscientious if she's not wearing makeup or isn't done up. And I, I guess I understand that to a degree, but it, not at the same degree because I'm not her. But anyway, and, and, and sometimes you just worry, you know, if I'm not all done up, if I don't have makeup on, if I'm not wearing the right clothes, what will people think of me, right? If I don't just look a certain way, what will they think of me? And if that's ever been the case and you weren't all done up, have you ever had the experience where you could tell someone loved you and didn't even see the things that you saw? Someone loved you and called you beautiful even when you weren't done up? In a great moment. Let's talk to guys. Guys, you ever fail at work and then the employees of your company still like you? That's a good moment, isn't it? Or maybe you're on a team and you are the reason the team lost. And, 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 and maybe instead of making fun of you, they, they again embraced you and they, they still owned you. Those are good moments, aren't they? When someone is able to see the worst of us and still say, I accept you, I love you, man, that is something that is completely powerful. This is what forgiveness does, but forgiveness ups the ante. When we are forgiven and when we forgive others, what we're basically uh, hearing and saying is that I've seen your worst and your worst actually affected me, but I love you so much I'm going to absorb it and I'm going to let it go. First of all, that happened with us in Jesus. He saw your worst and he chose to forgive anyway. That is an awesome deal. And what I believe, if this is true, is that forgiveness should lead to closeness. We should say there's no one else I'd rather be around because I don't have to put on a front with Jesus. He saw it all and he chose to forgive me anyway. Is there anyone better than that? Is there anyone more noble than that? That is the message of the gospel, isn't it? He saw it all and he forgave it anyway. You know, there's a story of a woman uh, who came into Jesus and she was known for her sin throughout the town. I'm not sure why. But, but she started to... Uh, wet Jesus' feet with her tears. Do you hear this one? And, and she dried his feet with her hair. Uh, just, just again, and, and this was a show of emotion. This was a show of closeness, if ever there was one. And people were wondering, you know, why is she doing this? Why is she washing the feet with tears and drying them with hair? And, and we learned this principle. Can you fill in the blank? Whoever has been forgiven much does what much? They love much, don't they? I would encourage you to see that that is your story and that is my story. Our sins were not a little thing but a big thing and yet they have been completely forgiven and our logical response then to the one who's seen us at our worst is to also love much. To say if he can accept me, man, I'm going to cling to him. 
This is our God. As a tangent for this morning, I would also recommend to you, if you want to be close to others, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Whether it be a spouse, whether it be a child, whether it be a friend you are about to give up on, you can forgive as the Lord forgave you. And this might lead to closeness that you've never experienced before. And so how do we make progress in the sin not category? It's not by viewing sin. It's by viewing Jesus. True progress is not made by seeing the mess of sin, but the beauty of our Savior. Whenever I focus on the mess of my sin, I actually self-destruct. Guilt and shame overwhelm me. But when I look at the beauty of my Savior, and I delight myself in Him, then there is power then there is progress that can be made. I love a quote by Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, he said this, When I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, He was so nice, I smote my breast to think that I could ever have rebelled against the one who loved me so and sought my good. It is almost illogical to respond to the kindness and the grace of God with anything other than a loving embrace and a loving following attitude. And this is what can propel us and desire us to sin not. But we're closing. So I have one final concept. And here I want to talk about Taco Bell. I love Taco Bell. I was born in El Paso, Texas. So that means I would always crave something spicy. When I moved to the Midwest, in order to impress my Midwest friends, I would take the hottest sauce available, I would squeeze it in my mouth, and I'd say, I'm a man. This is what I do. But I want to tell you why I will never eat a soft-shell taco from Taco Bell again. And it's not because I don't like Taco Bell. It is only because, I think it was in the 90s, that they created the double-decker taco. And see, ever since they created the double-decker taco, I don't want a regular taco. I want a double-decker. Why would I forgo? Why would I, I know it's silly. Why would I forgo the glories of the double-decker deliciousness for a simple soft shell? It makes no sense. Maybe you're seeing where I'm going. When we have something better, we don't turn back to what is worse. Maybe you've experienced this in your life. When you know something is far greater, you don't go back to the lesser. No, you desire to keep it better as it was. And this is the true power past sin. The quote that nailed it on the head, and if there's one quote I'd give for you today out of a myriad of quotes, it's this. It's that, I know of no other way to triumph over sin long term than to gain a distaste for it because of a superior satisfaction to God. He is so much better than the empty wells we run to to cope for our suffering. He is so much better than that empty well that actually blows glitter on top of glitter and problem on top of problem and pain on top of pain. He is the only one with the solution. And so what I would commend to you is to do this to, to replace your sin with the satisfaction of God. Replace your sin with satisfaction with God. It reminds me of those who, you ever met someone who was trying to overcome smoking and they chew on pens 
It isn't that they stopped doing something with their mouth, they just replaced it. Or maybe they chewed gum or did something else. Or someone maybe struggling with alcohol just replaces it with tea or replaces it with coke or replaces it with something else. And so what I would say is, yes, that activity craving is going on. Why don't you just replace those thoughts with some thoughts of God? Why don't you replace that activity with activity that has God on it? Why don't we replace the, 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 the sinful pleasure activity with the servant mentality for God? Let's do that. Not because our salvation is linked upon it. Our salvation was one. Because the God we worship is so good. And He wants what's best for us. Let's pray and ask God to help us. We pray together. Dear Jesus, how far your love goes, man, to see all my sin and still choose to love and forgive and bear the cross. Convince me there truly is no one greater. It is then I have confidence to do my best to sin not. When I fail, though, forgive me. But now let me understand my, my mess has been cleaned. I'm completely forgiven, and now give me power to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.